1: Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind
0: and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading chapters 19 and
1: 20 of The Scarlet Pimpernel. By Emma Ortsey. So let your eyes fall heavy, and your breath soften, as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter 19 The Scarlet Pimpernel At what particular moment the
0: strange doubt first crept into Marguerite's mind, she could not herself afterwards have said. With the ring tightly clutched in her hand, she had run out of the room, down the stairs, and into the garden, where, in complete seclusion, alone with the flowers and the river and the birds,
1: she could look again at the ring and study that device more closely. Stupidly, senselessly, now, sitting beneath the shade of an
0: overhanging sycamore, she was looking at the plain gold shield with the star-shaped little flower engraved upon
1: it. Bah, it was ridiculous. She was dreaming. Her nerves were overwrought,
0: and she saw signs and mysteries in the most trivial coincidences. Had not everybody about town recently made a point of affecting the device of that mysterious and heroic Scarlet Pimpernel? Did she not herself wear it embroidered in her gowns? "'set in gems and enamel in her hair. "'What was there strange in the fact "'that Sir Percy should have chosen to use the device as
1: a seal ring? "'He might easily have done that. "'Yes, quite easily. "'And, besides,
0: what connection could there be "'between her exquisite dandy of a husband?' with his fine clothes and refined, lazy ways, and the daring plotter who rescued French victims from beneath the very eyes of the leaders of a bloodthirsty revolution. Her thoughts were in a whirl, her mind was blank. She did not see anything that was going on around her and was quite startled when a fresh young voice called to her across the
1: garden. Sherry, Sherry, where are you? And little Suzanne, fresh
0: as a rosebud, with eyes dancing with glee, and brown curls fluttering in the soft morning breeze, came running across the lawn. They told me you were in the garden, she went on prattling merrily and throwing herself with pretty, girlish impulse into Marguerite's arms. So I ran out to give you a surprise. You did not expect me quite so soon, did you, my darling little Margot, Cherie? Marguerite, who had hastily concealed the ring in the folds of her kerchief, tried to respond gaily and unconcernedly to the young girl's impulsiveness. Indeed, sweet one, she said with a smile, it is delightful to have you
1: all to myself, and for a nice, whole long day. You won't be bored. Oh, Bored, Margot, how can you say such a
0: wicked thing? Why, when we were in the dear old convent together, we were always happy when we were allowed to be alone together. And to talk secrets. The two young girls had linked their arms in one another's, "'and began wandering round the garden. "'Oh, how lovely your home is, Margot, darling,' "'said little Suzanne enthusiastically. "'And how happy you must be!' I, indeed, I ought
1: to be happy, "'oughtn't I, sweet one?' "'said Marguerite, with a wistful little sigh. How sadly you say it, Cherie. Ah, well,
0: I suppose now that you are married, you won't care to talk secrets with me any longer. Oh, what lots and lots of secrets we used to have at school. Do you remember? Some we did not even confide to Sister Teresa of the Holy Angels though she was such a dear. And now you have one all-important secret, eh, little one? said Marguerite merrily, which you are forthwith going to confide to me. Nay, you need not blush, Cherie, she added, as she saw Suzanne's pretty face crimson with blushes. Faith. There's naught to be ashamed of. He is a noble and true man, and one to be proud of as a lover, and
1: as a husband. Indeed, Sherry, I am not ashamed, rejoined Suzanne softly,
0: and it makes me very, very proud to hear you speak of
1: him so well. I think Marmon will consent. She added thoughtfully, and I shall be, oh, so happy. But of course, nothing is to be thought of until Papa is safe.
0: Marguerite started. Suzanne's father, the Comte de Tournay. One of those whose life would be jeopardized if Chauvelin succeeded in establishing the identity of the Scarlet Pimpernel, and also from one or two of the members of the league that their mysterious leader had pledged his honour to bring the fugitive had pledged his honour to bring the fugitive Comte de Tournay safely out of France. Whilst little Suzanne, unconscious of all, save her own all-important little
1: secret, went prattling on, Marguerite's thoughts went back to the events of the past night. Amand's peril, Chauvelin's threat, his cruel either-or which she had accepted, and
0: then her own work in the matter which should have accumulated at one o'clock in Lord Grenville's dining room, when the relentless agent of the French government would finally learn who was this mysterious Scarlet Pimpernel, who so openly defied an army of spies and placed himself so boldly, and for mere sport, on the side of the enemies of France. Since then she had heard nothing from Chauvelin, she had concluded that he had failed, and yet she had not felt anxious about Amand, because her husband had promised her that Amand would be safe. But now, suddenly, as Suzanne prattled merrily along, an awful horror came upon her for what she had done. Chauvelin had told her nothing, it was true, but she remembered how sarcastic and evil he looked when she took final leave of him after the ball. Had he discovered something then? Had he already laid his plans for catching the daring plotter, red-handed, in France, and sending him to the guillotine? without compunction or delay. Marguerite turned sick with horror, and her hand convulsively clutched the ring in her dress. You're not listening, Cherie said Suzanne reproachfully, as she paused in her long, highly interesting narrative. Yes, yes, darling, indeed I am said Marguerite with an effort, forcing herself to smile. I love to hear you talk, and your happiness makes me so very glad. Have no fear, we will manage to appropriate Marmon. Sir Andrew Fox is a noble English gentleman. He has money and position. The Comtesse will not refuse her consent. But now, little one,
1: tell me, what is the latest news about your father? Oh, said Suzanne, with mad glee, the best we could possibly hear.
0: My Lord Hastings came to see my man early this morning. He said that all is now well with dear Papa, and we may safely expect him here in England in less than four days. Yes, said Marguerite, whose glowing eyes were fastened on Suzanne's lips
1: as she continued merrily. Oh, we have no fear now. You don't know, Cherie that that
0: great and noble Scarlet Pimpernel himself has gone to save Papa. Has he gone, Cherie? Actually gone, added Suzanne excitedly. He was in London this morning. He will be in Calais,
1: perhaps, tomorrow, where he will meet Papa, and then, and then... The blow had fallen. She had expected it all along, though she
0: had tried for the last half hour to delude herself and to cheat her fears. He had gone to Calais. He had been
1: in London this morning. He, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Percy Blakeney, her husband, whom she had betrayed last night to Chauvelin. Percy, Percy, her husband, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, how could she
0: have been so blind? She understood it now, all at once, the part he played, the mask he wore, in order to throw dust in everybody's eyes. And all for sheer sport and devilry, of course. Saving men, women and children from death, as other men destroy and kill animals for excitement. The love of the thing. The idle, rich man wanted some aim in life. He and the few young bucks he enrolled under his banner had amused themselves for months. In risking their lives for the sake of an innocent few. Perhaps he had meant to tell her when they were first married, and then the story of the Marquis de Centia had come to his ears, and he had suddenly turned from her, thinking, no doubt, that she might some day betray him and his comrades who had sworn to follow him. And so he had tricked her, as he tricked all others, whilst hundreds now owed their lives to him, and many families owed him both life and happiness. The mask of the inane fop had been a good one, and the part consummately well played. No wonder that Chauvelin's spies had failed to detect. In the apparent brainless nincompoop, the man whose reckless daring and resourceful ingenuity had baffled the keenest French spies, both in France and in England. Even last night, when Chauvelin went to Lord Grenville's dining room to seek the daring Scarlet Pimpernel, He only saw that to name Sir Percy Blakeney, fast asleep in a corner of the sofa.
1: Had his astute mind guessed the secret then? Here lay the whole awful, horrible,
0: amazing puzzle. In betraying a nameless stranger to his fate in order to save her brother, Had Marguerite Blakeney sent her husband to his death?
1: No, 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 a thousand times no. Surely fate could not deal a blow like
0: that. Nature itself would rise in revolt, her hand when it held that tiny scrap of paper last night would surely have been struck numb ere it committed a deed so appalling and so terrible. But what is it, Cherie? said little Suzanne, now genuinely alarmed, for Marguerite's colour had become dull
1: and ashen. Are you ill, Marguerite? What is it? Nothing, nothing, child, she murmured. As in a dream. Wait a moment. Let me think. Think. You said. The scarlet pimpernel had gone today. Marguerite. Sherry. What is it? You frighten me. It is nothing, child. I tell you. Nothing. I must be alone a minute. And dear one.
0: I may have to curtail our time together today.
1: I may have to go away. You'll understand. I understand that something has happened, Shuri,
0: and that you want to be alone. I won't be a hindrance to
1: you. Don't think of me. My maid, Lucille, has not yet gone. We will go back together. Don't think of me. She threw her arms
0: impulsively round Marguerite. Child as she was, she felt the poignance of her friend's grief, and with the infinite tact of her girlish tenderness, she did not try to pry into it, but was ready to efface herself. She kissed Marguerite again and again, then walked sadly back across the lawn. Marguerite did not
1: move. She remained there, thinking, wondering what was to be done. Just as little
0: Suzanne was about to mount the terrace steps, a groom came running around the house towards his mistress. He carried a sealed letter in his hand. Suzanne instinctively turned back. Her heart told her that here perhaps was further ill news for her friend, and she felt that her poor Margot was not in a fit state to bear any more. The groom stood respectfully beside his
1: mistress, then he handed her the sealed letter. What is that? asked Marguerite. Just come by runner, my lady. Marguerite took the letter mechanically and turned it over in her trembling fingers. Who sent it, she said. The runner said, my lady, replied the groom, that
0: his orders were to deliver this and that your ladyship would understand from whom it came. Marguerite tore open the envelope. Already her instinct had told her what it contained, and her eyes only glanced at it mechanically. It was a letter written by Armand St. Just for Sir Andrew Fawkes. The letter which Chauvelin's spies had stolen at the fisherman's rest, and which Chauvelin had held as a rod over her to enforce her obedience. Now he had kept his word. He had sent her back St. Just's compromising letter, for he was on the track of the Scarlet Pimpernel. Marguerite's senses reeled. Her very soul seemed to be leaving her body. She tottered, and would have fallen but for Suzanne's arm round her waist. With superhuman effort, she regained control over herself. There was yet
1: much to be done. Bring that runner here to me, she said to the servant, with much calm. Has he not gone? No, my lady. The groom went, and Marguerite turned to Suzanne.
0: And you, child? Run within. Tell Lucille to get ready. I fear I must send you home, child.
1: And stay. Tell one of the maids to prepare a travelling dress and cloak for me. Suzanne
0: made no reply. She kissed Marguerite tenderly and obeyed without a word. The child was overawed by the terrible. Nameless misery in her friend's face.
1: A minute later, the groom returned, Followed by the runner who had brought the letter. Who
0: gave you this packet? asked Marguerite. A gentleman, my lady, replied the man, At the Rose and Thistle Inn, opposite Charing Cross. He said you would understand. At the rose and thistle. What was he doing?
1: He was waiting for a coach, your ladyship, which he had ordered. The coach? Yes, my lady, a special coach he had ordered. I understood
0: from his man that he was posting straight to Dover.
1: That's enough. You may go. Then she turned to the groom my coach and the four swiftest
0: horses in the stable, to be ready at once. The groom and runner both went quickly off to obey. Marguerite remained standing for a moment on the lawn, quite alone. Her graceful figure was as rigid as a statue. Her eyes were fixed. Her hands were tightly clasped across her breast. Her lips moved as they murmured, with pathetic,
1: heart-breaking persistence. What's to be done? What's to be done? Where to find him? Oh God, grant me light. But this was not the moment for remorse and despair.
0: She had done, unwittingly, an awful and terrible thing. The very worst crime, in her eyes, that a woman ever committed. She saw it in all its horror. Her very blindness in not having guessed her husband's secret seemed now to her another
1: deadly sin. She ought to have known. She ought to have known. How could she imagine? that a
0: man who could love with so much intensity as Percy Blakeney had loved her from the first, how could such a man be the brainless idiot he chose to appear? She, at least, ought to have known that he was wearing a mask, and having found that out, she should have torn it from his face whenever they were alone together. Her love for him had been paltry and weak, easily crushed by her own pride, and she too had worn a mask in assuming contempt for him, whilst, as a matter of fact, she completely misunderstood him. But there was no time now to go over the past. By her own blindness she had sinned,
1: Now she must repay, not by empty remorse, but by prompt and useful action.
0: Percy had started for Calais, utterly unconscious of the fact that his most relentless enemy was on his heels. He had set sail early that morning for London Bridge, provided he had a favourable wind he would no doubt be in France within twenty-four hours. No doubt he had reckoned on the wind and chosen this route. Chauvelin, on the other hand, would post to Dover, charter a vessel there, and undoubtedly reach Calais much about the same time. Once in Calais... Percy would meet all those who were eagerly waiting for the noble and brave Scarlet Pimpernel, who had come to rescue them from horrible and unmerited death. With Chauvelin's eyes now fixed upon his every movement, Percy would thus not only be endangering his own life, but that of Suzanne's father, the old Comte de Tournay and of those other fugitives who were waiting for him and trusting in him. There was also Amand, who had gone to meet de Tournay, secure in the knowledge that the scarlet Pimpernel was watching over his safety. All these lives, and that of her husband, lay in Marguerite's hands.
1: These she must save if human pluck and ingenuity were equal to the task.
0: Unfortunately, she could not do all this quite alone. Once in Calais, she would not know where to find her husband, whilst Chauvelin, in stealing the papers at Dover,
1: had obtained the whole itinerary. Above everything, she wished to warn Percy. She
0: knew enough about him by now to understand that he would never abandon those who trusted him, that he would not turn back from danger and leave the Comte de Tournay to fall into the bloodthirsty hands that knew of no mercy. But if he were warned, he might form new plans,
1: be more wary, more prudent. Unconsciously, he might fall into a cunning trap, but, once warned, he might yet succeed. And if he failed, if indeed fate and Chauvelin, with
0: all the resources at his command, proved too strong for the daring plotter after all, then at least she would be there by his side to comfort love and cherish, to cheat death perhaps at the last by making it seem sweet, if they died both together, locked in each other's arms, with the supreme happiness of knowing that passion had responded to passion, and that all misunderstandings were at an end. Her whole body stiffened with a great and firm resolution.
1: This she had meant to do, if God gave her wits and strength. Her eyes lost their fixed look.
0: They glowed with inward fire at the thought of meeting him again soon, in the very midst of the most deadly perils. They sparked with the joy of sharing these dangers with him. Of helping him, perhaps. Of being with him at the last,
1: if she failed. The childlike sweet face had become hard and set. The curved mouth
0: was closed tightly over her clenched teeth. She meant to do or die, with him and for his sake. A frown which spoke of an iron will and unbending resolution, appeared between the two straight brows. Already her plans were formed. She would go and find Sir Andrew Fulkes first. He was Percy's best friend. And Marguerite remembered with a thrill, with what blind enthusiasm the young man always spoke of his
1: mysterious leader. He would help her where she needed help. Her coach was ready. A change of raiment,
0: and a farewell to little Suzanne, and she could be on her
1: way. Without haste, but without hesitation, she walked quietly into the house. Chapter 20 The Friend Less than half an hour later, Marguerite, buried in
0: thoughts, sat inside her coach, which was bearing her swiftly to London. She had taken an affectionate farewell of little Suzanne, and seen the child safely started with her maid, and in her own coach, back to town. She had sent one courier with a respectful letter of excuse to his royal highness, begging for a postponement of the august visit on account of pressing and urgent business, and another on a head to bespeak a fresh relay of horses at Faversham. Then she changed her muslin frock for a dark travelling costume and mantle, had provided herself with money, which her husband's lavishness always placed fully at her disposal, and had started on her way. She did not attempt to delude herself with any vain and futile hopes. The safety of her brother Amand was to have been conditional on the imminent capture of the scarlet pimpernel. As Chauvelin had sent her back a man's compromising letter, there was no doubt that he was quite satisfied in his own mind that Percy Blakeney was the man whose death he had sworn to bring about. No, there was no room for any fond delusions. Percy... The husband whom she had loved with all the ardour which her admiration for his bravery had kindled was in immediate, deadly peril through her hand. She had betrayed him to his enemy, unwittingly tis true, but she had betrayed him, and if Chauvelin succeeded in trapping him, who so far was unaware of his
1: danger, then his death would be at her door. His death. When with her very heart's blood,
0: she would have defended him and given willingly her life for him.
1: She had ordered her coach to drive her to the Crown Inn. Once there, she told her coachman
0: to give the horses food and rest. Then she ordered a chair and had herself carried to the house in Pall Mall, where Sir Andrew Fawkes lived. Among all Percy's friends who were enrolled under his daring banner, she felt that she would prefer to confide in Sir Andrew Fawkes. He had always been her friend, and now his love for little Suzanne had brought him closer to her still. Had he been away from home, gone on the mad errand with Percy, perhaps, then she would have called on Lord Hastings or Lord Tony, for she wanted the help of one of these young men, or she would indeed be powerless to save her husband. Sir Andrew Fawkes, however, was at home, and his servant introduced her ladyship immediately. She went upstairs to the young man's comfortable bachelor chambers, and was shown into a small, though luxuriously furnished, dining room. A moment or two later, Sir Andrew himself appeared. He had evidently been much startled when he heard who his lady visitor was, for he looked anxiously, even suspiciously, at Marguerite whilst performing the elaborate bows before her which the rigid etiquette of the time demanded. Marguerite had laid aside every vestige of nervousness. She was perfectly calm and having returned the young man's elaborate salute she began very calmly. Sir Andrew I have no desire to waste valuable time in much talk. You must take certain things I am going to tell you for granted. These will be of no importance. What is important is that your leader and comrade, the Scarlet Pimpernel, my husband, Percy Blakeney, is in deadly peril. Had she the remotest doubt of the correctness of her deductions, she would have had them confirmed now. For Sir Andrew, completely taken by surprise, had grown very pale and was quite incapable of making the slightest attempt at clever parrying. No matter how I know this, Sir Andrew, she continued quietly, thank God that I do and that perhaps it is not too late to save him.
1: Unfortunately, I cannot do this quite alone, and therefore have come for your help. Lady Blakeney, said the young man, trying to recover himself. I... Will you hear me first? she interrupted. This is how the matter stands.
0: When the agent of the French government stole your papers that night in Dover, he found among them certain plans which you or your leader meant to carry out for the rescue of the Comte de Tournay and others. The Scarlet Pimpernel, Percy, my husband, has gone on this errand himself today. Chauvelin knows that the Scarlet Pimpernel and Percy Blakeney are one and the same person. He will follow him to Calais, and there will lay hands on him. You know as well as I do the fate that awaits him at the hands of the revolutionary government of France. No interference from England, from King George himself, would save him. Robespierre and his gang would see to it that the interference came too late. But not only that, the much-trusted leader will also have been unconsciously the means of revealing the hiding place of the Comte de Tournay, and all of those who, even now, are placing their hopes in him.
1: She had spoken quietly, dispassionately and with firm, unbending resolution.
0: Her purpose was to make that young man trust and help her, for she could do nothing without him. I do not understand, he repeated, trying to gain time to think what was best done. Aye, but I think you do, Sir Andrew. You must know that I speak the truth. Look these facts straight in the face. Percy has sailed for Calais, I presume for some lonely part of the coast, and Chauvelin is on his track. He
1: has posted for Dover, and will cross the channel probably tonight. What do you think will happen? The young man was silent. Percy will arrive
0: at his destination, unconscious of being followed, he will seek out de Tournay and the others, among these is Amand St. Just, my brother, he will seek them out, one after another probably, not knowing that the sharpest eyes in the world are watching his every movement when he has thus unconsciously betrayed those who blindly trust in him, when nothing can be gained from him, and he is ready to come back to England with those whom he has gone so bravely to save, the doors of the trap will close upon him, and he will be sent to end his noble life upon the guillotine.
1: Sir Andrew still was silent. You do not trust me, she said passionately. Oh God, cannot you see that I am in deadly earnest? Man, man, she added, while,
0: with her tiny hands, she seized the young man suddenly by the shoulders, forcing him to look straight at her. Tell me, do I look like that vilest thing on the earth? a woman who would betray her own husband. God forbid, Lady Blakeney, the young man
1: said at last, that I should attribute such evil motives to you, but... But what? Tell me, quick man, the very seconds are precious. Will you tell me? he asked resolutely. "'and looking
0: searchingly into her blue eyes. "'Whose hand helped to guide Mr. Chauvelin "'to the knowledge which you say he possesses?'
1: "'Mine,' she said quietly. "'I own it. "'I will not lie to you, "'for I wish
0: you to trust me absolutely. "'But I had no idea. "'How could I have?' Of the identity of the Scarlet Pimpernel, and my brother's safety was to be my prize if I
1: succeeded. In helping Chauvelin to track the Scarlet Pimpernel, she nodded. It
0: is no use telling you how he forced my hand. Amand is
1: more than a brother to me, and, and, how could I guess? But we waste time, Sir Andrew.
0: Every second is precious. In the name of God, my husband is in peril. Your friend, your comrade. Help me save him. Sir Andrew felt his position to be a very awkward one. The oath he had taken before his leader and comrade was one of obedience and secrecy. And yet the beautiful woman, who was asking him to trust her, was undoubtedly in earnest. His friend and leader was equally undoubtedly in imminent danger,
1: and... Lady Blakeney, he said at last, God knows you have perplexed me, so
0: that I do not know which way my duties lie. Tell me what you wish me to do. There are nineteen of us ready to lay down our lives for the Scarlet Pimpernel, if he is in danger. There is no need for lives just now, my friend, she said dryly. My wits and four swift horses will serve the necessary purpose. But I must know where to find him, see, she added, while her eyes filled with tears. I have humbled myself before you, I have owned my fault to you, shall I also confess my weakness? My husband and I have been estranged, because he did not trust me, and because I was too blind to understand. You must confess that the bandage which he puts over my eyes was a very thick one. It is small wonder that I did not see through it. But last night, after I led him unwittingly into such deadly peril, it suddenly fell from my eyes. If you will not help me, Sir Andrew, I will still strive to save my husband. I will still exert every faculty I possess for his sake, but I might be powerless. For I might arrive too late, and nothing would be
1: left for you but lifelong remorse, and, and, for me, a broken heart. But Lady Blakeney, said the young man, touched by the
0: gentle earnestness of this exquisitely beautiful woman, Do you know that what you propose doing is man's work? You cannot possibly journey to Calais alone. You would be running the greatest possible risk to yourself, and your chances of finding your husband now, were I to direct you ever so carefully, are infinitely remote. Oh, I hope there are risks, she murmured softly. I hope there are dangers too. I have so much to atone for, but I fear you are mistaken. Chauvelin's eyes are fixed upon you all. He will scarce notice me. Quick, Sir Andrew, the coach is ready, and there is not a moment to be lost. I must get to him, I must, she repeated with almost savage energy to warn him that this man is on his track.
1: Can't you see, can't you see, that I must get to him, even, even if it be too late to save him, at least to be by his side, at the last. Faith, madame, you must
0: command me. Gladly would I, or any of my comrades, Lay down our lives for your husband. I will go yourself. Nay, friend, do you not see that I would go mad if I let you go without me? She stretched out her hand to him. You will trust me.
1: I await your orders, he said simply. Listen then. My coach is ready to take me to Dover. Do you follow me, as swiftly as
0: horses will take you? We meet at nightfall, at the Fisherman's
1: Rest. Chauvelin will avoid it, as he is known there, and I think it would be the safest.
0: I will gladly accept your escort to Calais, as you say, I might miss Sir Percy. Were you to direct me ever so carefully, we'll charter a schooner at Dover and cross over during the night. Disguised, if you will agree to it,
1: as my lackey, you will, I think, escape detection. I am entirely at your service, madame, rejoined the young man earnestly.
0: I trust to God that you will sight the daydream before we reach Calais. With Chauvelin at his heels, every step the scarlet Pimpernel takes on French soil is fraught
1: with danger. God grant it, Sir Andrew, but now, farewell, we meet tonight at Dover.
0: It will be a race between Chauvelin and me to cross the channel tonight, and the prize, the life of the Scarlet Pimpernel. He kissed her hand, and then escorted her to her chair. A quarter of an hour later, she was back at the Crown Inn, where her coach and horses were ready and waiting for her. The next moment... They thundered along the London streets, and then straight on to Dover Road at a maddening speed. She had no time for despair now. She was up and doing and had no leisure to think. With Sir Andrew Fox as her companion and ally, hope had once again revived in her heart. God would be merciful he would not allow so appalling a crime to be committed as the death of a brave man through the hand of a woman who loved him and worshipped him and who would gladly have died for his sake. Marguerite's thoughts flew back to him, the mysterious hero whom she had always unconsciously loved when his identity was still unknown to her. Laughingly, in the olden days, she used to call him the shadowy king of her heart, and now she had suddenly found that this enigmatic personality, whom she had worshipped, and the man who loved her so passionately, were one and the same. What wonder that one or two happier visions began to force their way before her mind. She vaguely wondered what she would say to him first when they would stand face to face. She had had so many anxieties, so much excitement during the past few hours, that she allowed herself the luxury of nursing these few more hopeful.
1: Brighter thoughts. Gradually, the rumble of the coach wheels, with its incessant monotony,
0: acted soothingly on her nerves. Her eyes, aching with fatigue and many shed and unshed tears,
1: closed involuntarily and she fell into a deep sleep.